I was worried that I would be alone for the rest of my life, but I actually quickly found that um, that wasn't for me and that it was perfectly possible to find a relationship. The really hard part was figuring out, working on myself and figuring out what I was doing and what I was looking for because I made a lot of mistakes in the 10 years between the death of my first husband and my second marriage. And I put all those mistakes and what I learned from them in the book. to Zestful Aging, where I interview inspiring and influential guests who are making their mark on the world and contributing to the common good. Making your mark big or small is creating your legacy, and it's one of the proven ways we can age with energy and deep contentment. Zestful Aging Podcast is my legacy. I'm your host, Nicole Christina, psychotherapist and fellow Zestful Ager. To find out more about this podcast, my web courses, and my brand new book, Not Just Chatting, How to Become a Master Podcast Interviewer, hop on over to ZestfulAging.com. And while you're there, sign up for my monthly email newsletter, The Zest, where you will get behind-the-scenes looks at my interviews and other fun tidbits. Our music is courtesy of Judy Banker. Find out more at JudyBanker.com. Calm. Ever wonder what the host of Zestful Aging does when she's not podcasting? Creating one-of-a-kind earrings, of course. I've just opened an Etsy shop called Zestful Design, no S, and it showcases my fun, comfortable, and zesty polymer earrings. These earrings are fun to make and fun to wear. So check out my new shop, Zestful Design, on Etsy. Etsy. How about some uplifting news for a change? Many of us believe, or we've been told, that finding a mate in later life is about as likely as being struck by lightning. If you're over 50 and single, you may believe that your chances for love are gone. But according to Francine Russo's new book, Love After 50, How to Find It, Enjoy It, and Keep It, you're now primed for the best relationship of your life. How is that possible? Francine tells you why it's true. She helps you dig deep inside yourself to understand what you really need to be happy. Welcome to the show, Francine Rousseau. Well, it is my pleasure. <laughs> this is such a delightful uh, breath of fresh air. We've been really uh, following some really deeply uh, difficult um topics and I'm just so delighted to talk to you about something really optimistic and lovely and as I understand it was a bit of a surprise for you. Well a little bit. I was widowed twice unfortunately but the good news is I found love again twice. I, I, I was worried that I would be alone for the rest of my life but I actually quickly found that um, that wasn't for me and that it was perfectly possible to find a relationship. The really hard part was figuring out, working on myself, and figuring out what I was doing, 
and what I was looking for, because I made a lot of mistakes in the 10 years between the death of my first husband and my second marriage. And I put all those mistakes and what I learned from them in the book. I see. So, you know, I'm gathering that the things that we usually see on dating sites, like I like pizza, I like walking on the beach with the sunset and watching movies, those are not the things necessarily that are going to make for a good match. No, I, I have a chapter called um, Rethink Your Automatics. And by automatics, I mean the, the boxes that we check off on a dating site that we just do automatically. For example, a certain college degree, a certain income level, a certain religion, a certain you name it. And a lot of those at our age... I mean, let's face it, you know, for many of us, our parents are gone or not, their opinions are not relevant. We can, we don't have to pick the kind of person who is appropriate to be a father for our children or to help us build our fortune. All we want is a person to have a great relationship with. And what's your definition of a great partnership, a great mate? What does that mean? What it means to me and to all of the couples I interviewed what is that you are an equal partner. You, um, you relate to each other, you connect, you listen to each other. You mostly have the same values, although you don't have to match on everything. And I, I, I think about this thing people say, oh, I don't want to settle. And what I say is, let's say you're with somebody who doesn't check a whole bunch of your boxes, income, job, all that stuff. But this person adores you and listens to you and holds you close when life rains bad blows on you. Is this settling? I don't think so. I think it's a great relationship. <laughs> I'm, I have to laugh because um, my husband came out with, and he's going to hear this, with um, some sandals pla like plastic Birkenstock garden sandals that he had taken Gorilla Tape these things are already plastic and uh, fashioned a way to keep them together. And, you know, he walks out with these shoes and I just had to shake my head like, wow, <laughs> you know, who does that? But to your point, who is going to be by you when things get really hard? Who is going to cherish you? Very different question. It is. And when those little annoying things happen. So many of the people I talked to said, you know what? He goes in the kitchen, he leaves all the cabinet doors open, and it annoys me. But then I think about how, how great our relationship is, and I just let it go. Mm -hmm. And that's what I heard from everybody. Is that what you've learned over your years of experience, that there's more things that you let go Absolutely. I, what's important when you're young, when you're still building your identity and you don't know fully who you are, you may be engaged in power struggles or what does this mean if this person does X? But when you're older and you, you know yourself and you know what you need, you know what's important and what doesn't matter a damn. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, hmm, I, I'm, uh, there's so many different places I can go here. So you're talking about 
who is going to be, I, I think, like who may, maybe the questions, who has integrity, who is um, devoted? What are the other things that the words that you would use when picking out a partner at this phase of life? I would say somebody, first of all, good chemistry, somebody you connect with who's positive in your life because a lot of us have bad chemistry where we pick the people who will not treat us as an equal or not treat us well but i say somebody you meet and you connect with and you talk you can talk you can talk easily and you can you feel like you want to go on talking with this person somebody who perhaps has similar values like really is into their family and attending to their kids or maybe somebody who's very um life-affirming in terms of their health and their aging. Maybe mm -hmm. some, but somebody who can share their feelings with you, can listen when you share your feelings and not be judgmental. That's mm -hmm. the kind of thing I think is important. So you're describing a kind of ease. Yes, and, and I think that people know pretty quickly at our age whether it's going to work or whether it's not. I have a chapter called Try a Relationship in which, you know, you you see somebody for a couple of months exclusively and you get a sense of who they really are. Mm -hmm. Like one woman said, um, I was dating this guy and I really liked him, but I said I didn't want a smoker. And he would he would leave during dinner and go to his car and come back with smoke on his breath. And I thought, oh, no, I don't want a smoker and I don't want a liar. And mm. she found that out very quickly. And other people have found out similar things, like he was seething with rage and was too rigid. Do I want to live with that? No. Mm -hmm. So I say, you tried it, move on. <laughs> you know, I, I'm thinking about what you said about being an equal partner. And I think about men our age um, may have adopted some pretty sexist views right? If they're our age, they're not necessarily, you know, woke. Um, is it difficult? Is it difficult to find men 50 and over that even know how to treat women as an equal partner? I think is that part of the challenge? Only if you're in your 80s, I think, because anybody who's in the baby boom generation, mm. you know, may have to confront a few outdated attitudes. But Mostly, the boomer men, many of whom have been divorced and learned mm -hmm. a lot from the, what they did wrong in their marriages and had lived on their own for a while, most of these men, they may have a few sexist attitudes, but you can put them straight pretty quickly. <laughs> I see. You can, they're they're uh, educatable, I they guess, are, or they're indeed. open. Now, there, you have um, a chapter about children and uh, children from prior relationships, prior marriages, that that can be quite complicated. It certainly can. A lot of people make the mistake of thinking, you know what, my kid's 40. If he doesn't like that I have a partner, well, he should just get over it. And that leads to lots of trouble because a parent is a parent forever. You know, even if your son is 50 or even 60 or your daughter, these relationships are very complicated, and you really need to listen to your kids' feelings and validate them and say, I understand you feel this or you fear that, 
But first of all, let me tell you, I will spend one-on-one time with you and make that happen. Mm. And then, you know, then talk to them adult to adult about why you need a relationship in your life and what it brings to you. Mm-hmm. And so it sounds like part of this is going in with a reasonable expectation that it's not going to be one like a Brady Bunch kind of situation where everyone's going to love the the stepchildren or the step-siblings or that you know going in there's a good likelihood that there's going to be some uh, tension. Yes, keep your expectations about blending very low. In mm-hmm. fact, don't expect to blend at all. I remember, <laughs> seriously, I, uh, one woman said to me recently, when I, when I married my, my husband, I didn't expect his children to love me or even like me. Um, I just wanted them to be polite. And years later, my stepdaughter said to me, you know, you didn't push, and I got to know you, mm-hmm. and that really increased my comfort with you. Mm-hmm. That's... That's really important, I think, um, because there is sort of this idea that if you do it right um, and if you introduce the person well and, you know, that that it will be this lovely blend. But that sounds like it's uh, an anomaly. Well, it's not realistic to expect Mm. that these children who are now adults Mm. and have their own lives will look to you for parental advice. Now, over time, that can happen. I know of some lovely situations where the the stepfather and the the stepdaughter or son really get along great. But Mm -hmm. that takes time, and it's not something you can expect, and it's definitely not something you can force. Uh, you're pretty um, upfront about sex, too, in this book. Uh, was that something that required some thought on your part about how sort of uh, clear you were going to be about uh, one's sex life? Or is that that was a no-brainer for you that you were going to no, go ahead? I, I had to think about it. And mm-hmm. somebody asked me, um, what do your kids think about about the sex chapter. And I said, I don't know whether they've read it. I imagine they would be uncomfortable, but nobody's mentioned it to me and that's okay. <laughs> okay. Uh. Hi listeners. A quick interruption to tell you about a powerful tool I actually rediscovered after 15 years that will help you with stress, anxiety, and depression. I'm talking about the Meditations from Health Journeys created by trauma expert Bella Ruth Napperstack. When I had to have major surgery many years ago, I listened to these meditations and it was enormously helpful. Health Journeys meditations are a little different than the -the run-of-the-mill meditations that you can find on apps. They're scientifically created and are used in over 3,000 hospitals. I highly recommend them and I use them myself. You can go to ZestfulAging.com or NicoleChristina.com and you will see a direct link. I hope you find them helpful and I'm interested in your experience. Now back to the show. 
And, you know, you've had your own experience. You've been a journalist. Uh, you've written other pieces and books and all of this. Was there a particular piece of that, this, that surprised even you after living through your own experience with this? The thing that surprised me really is how great the numbers are of people doing this. It's like every, every place you look, there's is my my cousin who hasn't had a date in 30 years is like madly in love my my single you know grandpa is is in love and you know you just hear it all around you and the statistics bear it out people who say oh there are no good people out there well they haven't read the stats and they haven't looked around them because the, the divorce rate for people in their 50s doubled in the, you know, 20 years ago, and it remains at record levels. And a mm -hmm. lot of these people want good, better relationships, mm -hmm. and they're out there. They're on the dating sites. They're looking. Mm. Are there any particular dating sites that you found are better than others for our audience to, to look at? Well, the one I have used the most is Match.com because mm. it's the biggest. But the only thing I would say is, oh, and J-Date for people who are Jewish and mm -hmm. really want a Jewish partner or Christian dating for mm. those people. But what I would say is not a fly-by-night dating site. And what would that be like? What is the one fit many fish or something? Something? No, like not necessarily. Plenty okay. of fish has been around a long time. I don't know the fly by night ones because okay. I haven't. Yeah. I'm lucky enough to have been with my current partner for five and a half years. I see. So you're out of the uh, the loop on that, right? But I think far more important than which dating site you're on is how you go about it, and. Um, I really give you a lot of important tips about what to do. And it's a lot more than, oh, put up a good picture and write a good profile. I, Tell, I really, I really okay. make online dating work for me. Like a science. Yes. Tell, would you give our audience a few ideas of what that means? Because I think, you know, we're all confused about that. You know, should it be cleavage? Should I look, you know, use a younger picture? Should I kind of manipulate some things? Like, give us a couple of ideas that we may not have thought of uh, when we're making a profile for ourselves. All right. Well, first of all, I would say no to cleavage. You know, if you're, if you're, if you're over 50, you want a picture that looks like you on your best day. Okay. But like you, and you definitely don't want to put a, an older picture up because okay. you don't want to see your, you know, your date's face fall when he sees you. However, I am, I don't object to taking up to five years off your age because everybody does it and nobody <gasps> seems to care. I see. Okay. Um, but more important than that is make the site work for you. Don't just stick with the matches they send you. Search for your own. You can go to the advanced search function. And most important of all, write to as many people as possible. I see. They don't write back. Who cares? You know, it's, it's really in many ways a numbers game. You, and mm. ignore all those people who just say, hey, gorgeous or hey, handsome. Mm -hmm. you, you want a respectable, respectful response. I see. Now, one of the things you also uh, talk about is this feeling of rejection. Um, and, it, this is not for, what was the quote, like not for sissies is, is the quote about aging, but 
you have to have a bit of a tough skin. Is that, would you say that's fair? I would say rather than a tough skin, I think you need to be resilient. And you know what? In our 50s and 60s, we've been through a lot. We've had a divorce. Maybe we've been widowed. We've lost friends. And we've survived. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we need to remind ourselves that if somebody doesn't write back on a dating site, that's not, that's not a big deal. You know, to have a sense of perspective. Also, to realize that there's a lot of bad, there's a lot, there are a lot of great people on dating sites and there's a lot of bad behavior. And there's just a lot that just has nothing to do with you. So mm -hmm. for example, if, if you, somebody doesn't write back to you after you've been corresponding for a while or somebody doesn't ask you even for a second date, you need to keep in mind that it's not necessarily personal. And what I would do if, and it stings a little, sure, it's disappointing, but I would make a list of all the reasons, all having nothing to do with something wrong with me, that could have caused this person not to write back or call. And they could start with, um, he was dating someone else for a couple of months and they just decided to be exclusive. That happens a lot. Or he had a crisis with his kids and he stopped dating now. Or he's met 50 people and he can't find chemistry with anybody. Mm -hmm. Or that cough that turned into pneumonia, he's uh, in the hospital. Oh or I boy. could end it. I could end it with, or he's dead. You know, it's my <laughs> list. It's my list. He's dead. I love that. It is a possibility. Hey. Oh, my gosh. That is, that's priceless. Um, so while you're talking about tools that we use as therapists, right, what are alternative explanations that are not about you being inferior? There's a lot of them, a lot of possibilities. Uh, what's a great first date? For me, a, a great first date is when you meet for coffee and you find yourself talking and talking and talking and just connecting. Like when I met my, my partner, Michael, my, um, we connected over wordplay. He, he used a German phrase that I know, and I found it funny, and it set us off on this path to wordplay. And then when we got to our his relationship history, which we felt comfortable doing, not everybody does on a first date. And I told him about that I'd lost two husbands. His eyes filled with tears. Mm. He was so compassionate, and I just felt... We've really connected. And that's, even if you're not talking about deeply personal things, when you want to keep talking to this person and have another date and keep talking, that is a great first date. Mm -hmm. And it could be anything. Oh, it could be anything. Yeah. I'll, tell, I'll tell you a story. I was um, walking on the beach as a first date with my, my husband, and he started picking up litter. And I thought, boy, that's a big you got some major points there, you know, he's just <laughs> stuffing litter and the, you know, not saying, hey, look at me, aren't I great? Just picking up trash on the beach. I thought, wow, that's a big brownie point right there. There you go. Um, so, you know, we're, this this idea of equal partner and, and, and um, so important. How do we, how, how do you think about sort of 
waiting for him to contact you after the first date? Is there kind of this dance that you you think about, or is it if I want to text him, I'll text him, or should I wait? Is there any kind of philosophy you use um, in terms I think, of, I, yeah? Yeah, I think I'm somewhere in between. If I really had a wonderful time, um, I usually, I would usually wait to see if I get a, um, some kind of response. But if I don't, I just say, hey, I had a great time. I hope we'll do it again. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if I don't get a response, I say, okay, that's, that's not happening. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't just wait. I, I think, and in fact, I would never have had the relationship with Michael that I have. We met um, the day after Valentine's Day, and he s- sent me an immediate email that was very, you know, like, wow, I met my Valentine. It was like, head over heels kind of stuff. However, I did not get it because somebody had hacked my account and it was closed down. Oh my goodness. However, because I was so sure we'd connected, I called him because we had spoken before and I had his phone number. And the instant he saw my my phone number, he said, I know who this is. And he was very excited, and he th- and then it turned out I hadn't. He said you got my email, and I said no. He said, "Well, I'll send it to you again," and I was very tickled. Mm-hmm. So I'm, and a similar thing happened when in the correspondence before I met him with my second husband Chris, because for some reason we stopped getting each other's emails, and he wrote to me and said, "You know, we were having such a wonderful correspondence." You know, if you don't want to hear from me, I understand. Please tell me, but I, I really want to make sure. Mm-hmm. And I, I and I did receive that, and I wrote right back to him, and I said I was feeling the same way. So technology can mess you up, and don't assume it's the person when when it could be the technology. That's Test it out. Great. That is a great point. I think that the sort of the big picture here, though, is that having a life um, where the relationship is part of it and a lovely part, but you're also doing your own thing and making yourself happy and not waiting by the, the computer to get a correspondence. Yes, and I had to work on that when I was widowed in my 40s, my late 40s, and in my early 50s. Because I was very needy. It was an issue in my marriage. And I, I, people would say, being desperate is not attractive. And I would say, but I do feel desperate. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be alone. And I, I had to learn to be alone. And one thing I did, I reconnected with my childhood love of cycling on a, on a trip to Amsterdam. And I bought a bike when I came back to New York. And I started cycling. And when I, I would, I biked by the river with the wind in my hair. Mm. I could do it by myself and feel great. I also taught myself, I live in Manhattan and I taught, and I love to go out on a Saturday night. And rather than just sitting at home saying, Oh my God, I don't have a date for Saturday night. I would, I would buy a ticket to the movie and I would sit outside at an outdoor cafe and I would make conversation mm. with couples and people mm. with children and I would flirt with dogs. And I can't say that I wasn't lonely sometimes, but I was okay. And I learned to be okay. 
You know, it's so interesting because one of the things with courage is that it's not necessarily that you feel so confident. It's that you do it anyway, even though you're a little uncomfortable. That's right. That's right. And, and I, I had to learn that, yeah, to do that. Yeah. And I think that's what I've seen with older people, with my clients and what guests talk about is, yeah, it's not easy to recreate yourself or, you know, really embrace uh, getting older, but what's the alternative? You know, you can stay <laughs> yes. home and, you know, wait for the someone to knock at the door. Um, that's not likely to happen. So how can you get outside of your comfort zone is what, is what many people have said, that they've just pushed themselves. Well, you know, outside of your comfort zone is a phrase that one of the people I interviewed used recently. She said, I would never have had this great relationship if not for all the personal growth I did and um, reaching beyond my comfort zone because my partner... You know, I'm a sophisticated New York woman, and he's what I laughingly refer to as a rube from Arkansas. I'm completely <laughs> secular. He's very religious in a way I used to find off-putting. But, uh -huh. but, but I was able to get rid of all those, you know, little boxes and just connect to who he was. And we've been together for 15 years and so in love. Mm. He is my soulmate. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. Really force, well, forcing sounds rough, but like challenging yourself to have an open mind. Yes. The open mind, you know, don't challenge your prejudices. Mm -hmm. I think that's important in every aspect, right? Of life. Francie, what's your next project? Well, I am still writing about older people. And by the way, this is a thing in Western Europe, especially in Scandinavia, in Israel, more and more older people are having either second marriages or late life unions. And I, I'm, I've just finished a piece for Time Magazine or Time.com, which is about how older couples are different and really in some ways have the best relationships, relationships younger people raising kids, working mm -hmm. all the time, wish they had. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with the book, The Happiness Curve? I've heard of it, but I haven't read it. Okay, so uh, it's a, a, a writer from, um, and now I it'll come back to me, but he was an economist and a mathematician and really challenged this idea that midlife is such a good time. He said, people are stressed. They're trying to make the mortgage, raise the kids, mow the lawn, have something that's not, you know, frozen food on the table. There's this myth that's such a lovely time. And really what the research shows is the more, the older you are, the happier you become. Yes, I have read that research from the scholars. And yeah. it, it is true that when we're older, we're more emotionally stable. We have a, we focus more on the positive and we live more in the present. The older we get, the more we do this. There's a Scandinavian, um, psychologist who did a study of older couples and he said time acts on them in a kind of paradoxical way. On the one hand, they have more time together every day. On the other hand, they, the remaining years together are limited and they just cherish each other mm -hmm. and they focus on that and not on any minor little problems. They just are so grateful to have found each other. 
Mm-hmm. What a beautiful frame uh, for a relationship is gratitude for finding one another. That would just color every interaction. You got it. Oh, that's so beautiful. Francine, thank you so much for sharing your own uh, journey and, and, and your work. It's such an important subject, and I think more than ever, really, people need to have some hope that there are good things ahead. Oh, yeah, there's plenty of hope. Lovely. Thank you so much for spending the time. It was my great pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us on Zestful Aging. If you like the podcast, please share it with some of your friends. I love to hear from my listeners. Send me an email at NicoleChristina.com. It's no secret that everyone's feeling pretty restless and unsettled right now. Our lives are upside down and the future is feeling pretty uncertain. But if you're anything like me, organizing my stuff can help me feel a little calmer. It's something I can do to help me feel a little more in control and in charge of my own life. If you think decluttering could help you feel better and you could use a little assistance with that, check out the online course I've developed with professional organizer and designer Carrie Luteran. It's called Too Much Stuff. And Too Much Stuff is different from other courses or articles or guidance you may have used. We give you clear steps to deal with the clutter and the tools to help you face the overwhelming feelings and the emotions that come up when we're going through our clutter. And a lot of those emotions are just feeling anxious or guilty or just basically flooded with a lot of different confusing feelings. The course is really practical. It's realistic. The lessons are short and punchy, and they're really manageable. We're not trying to set you up for some long, exploratory, you know, super in-depth, burdensome experience. We want something really helpful for you right now. We all need help with our anxiety. So, Being surrounded by more calm and less chaos can really help. So now's a good time to clear out the clutter so we can focus on what's really important in our lives. So find out more at zestfulaging.com. You'll see more about this under the web courses tab. If you have any questions, just shoot me an email at zestfulaging at gmail.com. Thanks so much. And stay tuned next week for another interview with a fascinating and inspiring guest.